Closer Look. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Wright talking with Jerry Henchy, Director of Nutrition Policy with the Food Research and Action Center, or FRAC. Now, what are some economic factors that lead to obesity in children? You know, childhood obesity is a complex problem, but there are definitely environmental factors. And some of some of the key things that we see are food insecurity and access to food. When we see families which um, are experiencing food insecurity, we really see it's much more of a problem for their, those families to support those children's healthy weight um, because they just don't have enough money at intervals, at least, to get enough food, and they don't have enough money for healthy food. In addition, for some families, underserved low-income neighborhoods, they don't actually have access to a lot of healthy food um, because they basically are in food deserts, and they're paying more for the food that they are getting, and it's less healthy. So those are some of the economic factors. And the larger factors, of course, uh, have to do with whether people have jobs or not and what happens overall in the country. And so when COVID happened, that really was worse for families with children. We really saw an increase in food insecurity for families with children. You know, they were stuck at home and they didn't get their school meals anymore and they didn't get to do school activities. And so the childhood obesity problem got worse. Um, It got much worse. And let's talk more about the roles that schools play in childhood nutrition and ways they can help out. Well, one of the key things uh, that schools do in terms of childhood nutrition is they offer children school breakfast and school lunch. They're often healthier than what the kids would get at home. And they also really support food security for people who are in low-income families. And the other thing that's really important that schools can do is offer activities because the kids uh, were stuck at home sitting around lots of times. And so offering activities matter. The other thing that schools can do is offer summer programs and after-school programs. And so there are federal food programs that support all of these, the children who are um, school age. And that makes a big difference. Since our kids spend so much time at school Monday through Friday, are there specific nutritional standards that need to be met then with the meals? Oh yeah, there are very specific standards. And so every meal has a meal pattern has to meet, you know, for example, for lunch, there has to be a fruit and a vegetable and there has to be a protein and there has to be a grain and there has to be milk, right? Then on top of that, there are nutrition standards. So the grains have to be whole grain rich, very important. The juice can't be a juice drink, it has to be real, you know, 100% juice. There are also rules across a week. So you can have more than 10% saturated fat across the week. You can have more than a certain amount of sodium across the week. So there's different levels. You have a meal pattern, which is the food groups they have to meet. Then you have nutrition standards, which control you know, certain foods. You have to have whole grain. You can't have sugary juice. And then you have these nutrient standards across the week. So you can have more than X amount of calories in each age group. So there are those kinds of standards for both breakfast and and lunch. And then there's also standards that try to control the junk food that people could just buy a la carte in the cafeteria. They're meant to make that food, you know, less of a nutrition disaster and also to lower the problems with it um, competing with the regular lunches, which are healthy. 
Um, the schools have to report every day. They have to keep menus and production records and calculations. They have registered dietitians who work on all of that. So, yep, there are a lot of lot of standards. A parent is sending their kid to school and say the breakfast and lunch offerings might not be quite so healthy. What can parents do to kind of advocate? Yes, that is a good question. And that is part of what we work on. So we have some things up on our website about that. But this is what I would say. If parents are seeing that the food that's being served isn't healthy or isn't quality, you know, like frozen sandwich kind of thing, then they can um, go to the leadership of the school, like go to the PTA and raise this issue and work through the PTA. Or they can go directly to the food service people at the school and talk to them about it. They can talk to the principal. So what are some good things the parents could suggest? They could suggest that there be a review of the menu and to see if it really is healthy and to ask why it isn't healthy because there are healthy standards for the meals. So why aren't they meeting them? They can also suggest engaging the kids, particularly if we think about kids who are not little kids, a little bit older kids. Um, there's all kinds of best practices for engaging the kids in picking out menus and picking out recipes to canvas the kids about what they would really like to see that's healthy. Sometimes the other thing is parents could try and they can always contact us on our website, which is frac.org. One of the things that we try to do and USDA tries to do is if a school's really struggling to have healthy meals, to connect them to a school that's nearby that can enter them and help them. I will say that the schools have struggled uh, during COVID with supply chain problems sometimes. They're having trouble getting what they need. And in particular, I think rural schools have had a bigger problem in that way. So that's another part of the conversation. You know, whenever you approach people and say, looks like you're not doing what you need to, you could always start by asking them why and then try to work from there. But there are, we definitely have some great ideas for parents and that does happen. There are times when things don't seem as healthy or the quality is not what people want. And there's definite remedies for moms and dads who want to go and talk to the school. What can churches do? I really want to speak in praise of the role of churches during COVID to start with. When we think about food insecurity and health for children, the churches really stepped up. The pantries were helping neighbors in need. You know, we saw those pictures of all the cars lined up, some of which were some nice cars because a lot of people lost their jobs during COVID. And so members of churches who had been helping before then needed help. So the churches really stepped up and helped that way, which I think is important for supporting families with children, the health and the healthy weight of their children. In addition, I think that the churches did a good job of referring both their members and their neighbors in need to the federal food programs. So the SNAP program, which used to be known as food stamps, and the WIC program, key among those, the churches stepped up and were, were um, a mighty force against food insecurity um, during COVID. And now that we're returning back to normal, trying to return back to a normal level of their food pantry work. But really, when I hear from food pantries, church-based food pantries, they're still really seeing a lot of people. Also still making referrals to SNAP and WIC, both to the congregation and to 
to neighbors who, who are coming, who are in need. The other thing that churches can really do now is return back to supporting, to hosting after-school programs and summer programs. And so we really see churches doing that a lot. They can use the food programs and offer a safe place for kids and a place for kids to have some activities. So if we think about trying to have healthy weight for kids, we really want to make sure they have places to go where they can get healthy food. And we really want to make sure that their families have enough food. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Wright talking with Jerry Henchy, Director of Nutrition Policy with the Food Research and Action Center, or FRAC. Jerry, share a little bit about what FRAC does that helps support overall health for children. We work with a large network of anti-hunger organizations across the country, and we try to give them the information that they need to make the most of the federal food programs. In addition to that, we work with Congress, and we try to let Congress know what we're hearing from people out in the field, the kinds of things that people are trying trying to get done. Um, so, you know, if we have some ladies who are trying to do a program, uh, like a summer program, and they tell us some things about the program, we try to make sure Congress knows that and makes some changes. That kind of an example. Um, the other thing we do is research and we do grants. So, for example, we have a USDA grant to do WIC outreach. So that's the kind of thing also that uh, your listeners, if they have an innovative program and they want to apply, we hope that they do because we want the faith-based community to be part of this testing of innovation. Outside of schools and churches, what can families do to have an influence and raise healthier kids? The issue of healthy kids and healthy weight is something that is complex. Like the American Academy of Pediatrics actually just reissued their guidelines, which are 100 pages long. So I think if, if I think about what can parents do to raise healthy kids at a healthy weight, you know, you want kids to be able to have um, access to healthy meals and snacks, access to regular activity. These are really important. And that's why we think the school's after school kind of programs are really important. For the preschool kids, you want the preschool to have healthy food. There we have the child and adult care food program, another federal food program that makes a big difference. Families can, if they're struggling, in addition to having those kinds of programs in place in the settings that their children are in, they could apply for SNAP. SNAP will give them more money so that they can, they have the money to make the choices. If their kids are, are under five and if um, also, if they're pregnant, they can apply for WIC. WIC just got way more valuable and healthy because Congress uh, tripled the fruits and vegetables that you can buy with that benefit. So I would really recommend that. The other thing I think it's a complex issue. So you have the issues that we talked about from the economic point of view, but really you also have a lot of complex issues in some cases around genetics and around um, eating behaviors. And if that's the case, then really you're more in the realm of what the American Academy of Pediatrics is talking about. And for some families, they might want to speak to their pediatrician. They might want to have a nutritionist to, to help them. Or they might want to go to WIC because WIC has nutritionists. It's a great luxury. And they'll help, you know, if you've got a picky eater, which almost everyone has at some point in time, they can help with tips. If you're trying to get rid of the baby weight, they can help with tips. So I think there's a lot out there, even if you don't have a lot of resources. 
that can really be helping families on this journey. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the new guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics. They're suggesting more aggressive treatments for obese children six years and older. It includes medicine, even surgery for teenagers. Will you think that might be effective for those that are obese because of their genes versus their habits? I'm, I mean, I am a dietitian. FRAC doesn't really work on the issue of, you know, healthy kids and healthy weight in that way. But we take into account that that is going on because we know that what we're talking about is one, one part of the puzzle of how to keep kids healthy, that healthy weight. I think what everyone agrees on who works on these issues is that prevention is what we really want, right? We want kids to be in environments that are not obesogenic, right? That are, we want kids to be in environments where they're going to get healthy meals, where there isn't a lot of junk food, where they have activities. And that's really going to make a difference for kids from childhood, early childhood onwards. That's what we want. And we want families to be able to rely on the settings that those kids are in, which is daycare, school, and out of school time. And we want families to have the resources that they need to be able to do what they know is the right thing, which is to be able to give their kids enough food and healthy food. Because one thing that we really see is that if parents can't do that, then they actually become depressed. And that's a whole cycle in and of itself of misery and despair. And if kids can't get a regular source of enough to eat, often the way they're going to cope with that is to eat when they have the option, right? And maybe to eat too much when they have the option because they don't know when it's going to run out. So fundamental to, you know, normalizing regular eating habits in children is for parents to be able to give them a regular source of enough healthy food. That is absolutely fundamental. And I think everyone agrees on that. Otherwise, all the nutrition education in the world is just wasted. It makes people feel bad. And advocate for your kids, bottom line. Absolutely. You want to advocate for your kids. If your school doesn't have a school breakfast program, then advocate for a school breakfast program. If they're not given PE because they decided the test scores mean kids have to sit all day, get with the PTA and point out that actually physical activity is good for health and healthy weight, but it's also good for education. And if you don't like what's being served, then talk to them about it. I'm Billy Wright. This is Closer Look, talking with Jerry Henchy with the Food Research and Action Center, or FRAC. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. I appreciate your time and the information. Thanks a lot.